This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 18. I think I got a quick story here that I don't think I've ever shared with you, Aram. Uh, so I, I had tried out to go to Ranger Regiment. I was fortunate enough to be able to get selected. I go to Fort Lewis, 275, and you know I'm super excited about being a platoon leader in the special operations community and leading soldiers and everything like that. Well, for the next year, I get stuck as the S5, and my biggest project for a good solid six months was planning the 275 Ranger Regiment Ball. So I can 100% uh, relate to you with this, Luke, that it was a pain in the butt to try and find a venue and to actually figure this all out. So I'm glad that uh, you came up with the solution for all the future Ranger lieutenants who think they're going to go lead soldiers or Rangers right off the bat, but then get stuck planning their Ranger ball. So appreciate yeah. it. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hello and welcome to the Negotiate X podcast. I am your co-host Nolan Martin and with me today is actually not just Aram. But we also have Luke, who's a, a, a peer at West Point, who we're going to bring onto the podcast here in a minute. I'm going to have Aram introduce him. So with that, Luke, no pressure, because you are setting the bar for all future visitors that we have on the podcast. So um, with that, I'll turn it over to Aram. And, and, and Nolan, I'm not going to assume it's just because you're getting tired just talking to me on this, uh, or, or, the, or that any of our listeners would provide the feedback like, can you get anybody else to talk other than Aram? <laughs> but, but yeah, great to have you with us today, Luke. So to our listeners, we are blessed today to have uh, a good friend, uh, a former student, Luke Hutchison, join us. Luke's a graduate of West Point, uh, 2013. He was one of our original fellows in the West Point Negotiation Program. He commissioned as an infantry officer, served uh, two deployments in Afghanistan with the 4th Infantry Division. Now, in between those deployments, Luke found himself planning a lot of social events. And after several frustrating experiences trying to book a venue for different military social events, when Luke left the military, he founded Perfect Venue. And Perfect Venue is a tech startup that helps restaurants uh, save time and increase their sales by streamlining their event management process. Perfect Venue is backed by leading Silicon Valley investors, including the first investor in Zoom and a co-founder of DoorDash. Luke, welcome to the show. For sure. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you. Uh, and so appreciate you taking your time. Listen, we want to start a little bit maybe with your time, you know, at West Point and those early years in the military, in the army, in Afghanistan. And just say, you know, as you think back kind of around that time, what were some foundational concepts that you felt like you had an opportunity to put into practice that you maybe didn't know at the time were going to be beneficial, but, but have been beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, very, very fortunate West Point to come across Aram and the West Point negotiation project and really, really fully embraced it. I'm very glad I did because literally when I got to Afghanistan, I think on the second day there, I was basically put in charge of being the officer that would go with our battalion commander to 
all of these different meetings that he was having with our Afghan counterparts. So different Afghan generals in the area, Afghan police chiefs, Afghan governors, you know, and literally every other day where we're going out on these patrols, we'll go and meet with these leaders. And it was my job to, you know, prepare him to try and think about what the other party's interests were, what our options were, what our alternatives were, you know, and really providing him the context as well, because very often, you know, what they would be telling us wasn't exactly what was, you know, full, fully going on. And so, you know, showing him the relationship maps and using a lot of those tools that we learned at West Point in the negotiation class to prepare my boss for success. And then um, going out as a platoon leader, pretty much every patrol, we had to be partnered with the Afghan police or Afghan army and, you know, and really trying to, to go into every single one of those thinking from their perspective, what are their interests? What are their options? You know, why, you know, why don't they want to go out on patrol with us today? And maybe the reasons they're saying there, there is some truth to it, or maybe they are making an excuse and, you know, trying to think about it from a principled perspective, as opposed to just, you know, a very like positional approach of just black and white, which often, you know, doesn't, doesn't work very well, especially when you need to build those long-term partnerships in, in very like stressful situations. Yeah, that resonates, right, Nolan, with things that you and I have talked about from our own perspectives yeah, and experiences. Like wash and repeat. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, Luke, one thing I did want to kind of ask you about was, you know, the work that you did with your your boss. A, a number of folks always ask, you know, this is great if I'm if we're working with peers. It's great if I'm working with, you know, subordinates. As you think about the way you you, you said preparing your boss for success in those engagements, what sort of things worked well when doing that? When you had to kind of lead upward. Uh, with these negotiation skills? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was a lot of like, I would basically prepare a sheet for him before every meeting. And so I think a lot of good negotiation is, you know, doing setting the stage before you even start the conversation. And so, you know, doing really thorough research and providing him with that research. And so then, you know, if the, the Afghan general we're meeting with kind of like throws out this like, hard thing, or, you know, I'm not going to do this, I will have hopefully prepared my boss ahead of time with trying to understand the interests in that context for why that, you know, Afghan counterpart is maybe saying that and putting up that position. And, you know, really, I think I viewed it as equipping him for those meetings and then also brainstorming potential options ahead of time. So, you know, trying to think about what that counterpart's interests are, what our interests are. Let's think about a few different options um, and kind of talking through that and role playing, you know, very usually, you know, I mean, he was a battalion commander. I'm like a brand new second lieutenant. So, yeah. you know, I, there's there's always that factor. So the pretty big difference. But, you know, we would like in the trucks beforehand, usually, or as we were walking up to it, you know, try and put a few ideas in his head going into the, the meeting so that he was better prepared for success. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, let's let's talk a little bit about Perfect Venue. Just kind of give us the history and how did this all kind of start beyond what I shared in your in your bio? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like you mentioned, Aram, you know, I was planning a lot of social events. I was uh, for any military listeners out there, I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, battalion balls, hails and farewells, all of that. And I was the first platoon alpha company platoon leader. So as soon as we got back, I was first in the shoot to plan that uh, next hail and farewell. And it was just always a really challenging process trying to find and book a venue, you know, searching all over the internet, you know, looking at, oh, well, we went here last year, but then, oh, they're not available this date, or maybe they closed, or, you know, did you try this place? And you're trying to call around a lot of restaurants, you know, just don't answer their phones because they're so busy, send emails to email addresses that just bounce because they didn't exist. 
just really a nightmare of a process. And so I was just, you know, driving home one day and kind of had that very classic stereotypical aha moment where I was just like, there's got to be a better way. And even though I know nothing about technology, I was just like, let's, you know, start, start doing it and had some good initial success with just a very simple landing page. People would fill out what they wanted for their event. And then I just built a spreadsheet of all the venues in our area. And that was in Colorado in like 2018 timeframe. And it really took off out there. And so then we moved to the Bay Area to build out the team and raise money. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I remember talking to you at the time when you were doing this. Uh, and and I thought, what a great idea. I thought it was a great idea from the get go. And I, I kind of I remember you talking about how your thinking around even just interests and options and that kind of kind of basic component to negotiation yeah. was even kind of just an idea for for you know the reason or the need for 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 something like this. I think I got a quick story here that I don't think I've ever shared with you, Aram. Uh, so I, I had tried out to go to Ranger Regiment. I was fortunate enough to be able to get selected. I go to Fort Lewis 275, and you know I'm super excited about being a platoon leader in the special operations community and leading soldiers and everything like that. Well, for the next year, I get stuck as the S5, and my biggest project for a good solid six months was planning the 275 Ranger Regiment ball. So I can 100% uh, relate to you with this, Luke, that it was a pain in the butt to try and find a venue and to actually figure this all out. So I'm glad that uh, you came up with the solution for all the future Ranger lieutenants who think they're going to go lead soldiers or Rangers right off the bat, but then get stuck planning their Ranger ball. So appreciate it. Yep. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And then each of those, yeah, is their own negotiation. So lots of, yeah, I remember sitting down with, we ended up going to the Broadmoor, it's like a five-star hotel and, you know, they had this long sheet and, you know, thinking about all the different, you know, prices and how we can, you know, think creatively like, oh, well, can we bring our own grog as opposed to having to buy their grog and, you know, <laughs> trying to create, you know, many different options. So. Hey, tell us before, before I kind of drill in more to how you're using some of these negotiation skills today, can you tell us just a little bit more, I think, you know, your, your success story, because you kind of, kind of went from 2018 to the move to Silicon Valley or, you know, out to the Bay Area, I guess, for listeners who are, they have an idea that they want to bring to life. Tell us just a little bit about your journey there and the persistence involved. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, when we started out in Colorado and it definitely, you know, it was, it was not a, a straight path by any means. You know, there's a lot of trial and error and, you know, trying to, to constantly improve. And one of the things too, that when we first started out is very a la Airbnb, you know, trying to find and book a venue really on the guest side. But when we started talking to, we, we started sending a bunch of inquiries to the venues and we realized though, or like everything kind of just melted down. It was like pouring water into a leaky bucket because they didn't have good tools on their end to manage availability, send proposals, get paid. And so we've really pivoted the business towards just helping them manage their existing leads rather than helping guests find and book a venue. And so down the road, we plan to, to circle back on that and, and have a marketplace again. But uh, that was definitely a big learning, you know, just listening to your customers and understanding what they want. And yeah, so that was around 2018, uh, came out here, you know, in the first like few months, it was a real, we had a really tough time fundraising. And, you know, I think one of the big lessons learned for me was, you know, with investors, it, it on the surface, it seems very simple, right? It's like, they just want to, you know, make money, right? And they want to get a return. But in reality, it's much, much more complicated, much, much more nuanced. And, you know, what timeline do they want to return? And like a very simple breakdown is, 
they're investing their own money versus investing other people's money. <laughs> you know, people that are investing other people's money, they have a much, you know, they, they have in a contract, right, with those investors that, hey, we're going to try and return this amount on this date. And so everything is very driven by that, that those quantitative and assessments. Whereas if they're investing other people's money, or if, excuse me, if they're investing their own money, you know, they're often much, you know, they obviously want to return, but it's not typically this very tight timeline. You know, they're just happy that, hey, I'm going to be getting more money back. But usually it was much more that like, you know, they they see similarities in me and themselves and right, like they're, they were in the military and they started their own business and they kind of, you know, pay it forward. And it's definitely not, you know, out of charity, like they, they want to return as well, but they think, you know, much differently than just your traditional, you know, venture capitalists. And so, yeah, learn, learn, learn a lot of lessons with that raised a pre-seed round. So it was about three quarters of a million dollars. And that was right before COVID. And so we got extremely lucky in the timing because I think had we been raising even a few months later, it would have been very, very difficult, if not impossible, to, to raise that round. And then COVID hit, obviously not a great, you know, private events and restaurants a business to be in, but we really just buckled down, focused on the product and have just been seeing like explosive growth since then, because a lot of restaurants, you know, I think are really looking to automate their operations, streamline their operations. A couple of our main competitors went out of business or were acquired and we're really the only like modern solution on the market that helps restaurants, you know, do what they do. And we have, you know, a mobile app and online payments and our main competitor is about 15 years old. They've been around for a long time. They're great for hotels and large chains, but they're much more complicated and, ex and expensive than what most of our customers need. And so, yeah, we're now in 30 states. We have hit some, some uh, revenue milestones lately and are uh, growing the team very actively and even have a, a location in Canada. So, we're an international company, I guess. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, as you laid that out, you did such a nice job of talking about interests. And that was, I remember that that discussion too, kind of the assumptions I had of what someone who's looking to invest, right. what assumptions about what they're interested in versus kind of finding that out and being such an important part of your prep. You know, as we as we kind of delve into the, the role of negotiation. How much flexibility do you have around the options you're able to kind of create when it comes to raising money? And then how important is the role of like legitimacy and standards? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to the options, I think that's absolutely critical. Like the, you know, kind of a way to think about it from an investor standpoint is they're basically, you know, you're giving them traction and progress and, you know, they're giving you, you know, money in return. And so the longer, the more data they can get, the better it is, right? And what that translates to is they just want to wait. And so they want to wait for the next week or the next week, because who knows, maybe you'll have landed that big, like things change so fast, you'll have landed that big customer, or you will have you know, got that new engineer, or you know, things that, things that will increase the odds of success for the company. And so it's really their incentive to just sit and wait and get more information. And so for me, one of the most important things with fundraising is like, really running an aggressive process and having a ton of options. And that means just a bunch of investors that are interested in the company that are looking to invest because without that interest and that potential of not being able to invest, and there's a cap, obviously. So you say, hey, we're trying to raise $500,000. So there's a limited amount of dollars that the company is going to take. And then showing that, hey, there's a bunch of other people that are interested in this deal. And right now we only have 100k left in the round and you know we have several other people that could write a check of that size that are doing due diligence we don't know when they're going to close and really making sure that you're communicating hey i have other options out there because at the end of the day it's 
in their best interest to just wait and see and try and get more information, you know, strengthening that. And in terms of the legitimacy, I think that's also critical. I mean, when, when an investor that just invested then makes an intro to his friend, the odds that that friend is going to invest is going to be about 10 times higher than just, you know, your average investor because they trust their friend and they, they know that they already have that relationship and they trust that that person is already you know, reviewed the terms of the deal and the valuation and that everything is fair is, is really important. And then in terms of coming up with like a valuation, for example, I look at very much like real estate where, you know, you're looking at comps. So you're trying to find similar startups that have a similar amount of traction, you know, a similar opportunity and looking at, you know, what are they raising at? And then you can use that to defend your valuation because especially at, you know, a pre-seed, we were, you know, barely had like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month in revenue or something like that. You know, it's it's impossible to like have a quantitative, you know, valuation like you would in the public market. So, so I, to that, to what you were just sharing, I know at one point too, you talked about, you know, weeks and months of some really, you know, hard learned lessons. Yeah. And at one point you were capturing those and sharing those with others. Is that still something you're doing today? Do you still share those? I mean, I assume you're still capturing those lessons or did you do you still kind of share those two with, with others? Yeah, yeah. Like we have our um, investor update that we send out once a month where we usually include lessons learned and, you know, things that, you know, we could improve. And then I did some writing on the side as well. And, you know, I think that's something with the negotiation class that, and I think the military in general, you're kind of taught the importance of writing and reflection and thinking about your process. And I basically just started kind of writing on the side as I was fundraising really as a way to reflect and think about what was working and what wasn't, you know, with, with all these negotiations and starting to see those patterns and realizing that like, you know, Hey Luke, when you're going into this negotiation, you know, you're, you're only trying to go after one investor at a time, like the single shot musket approach, like it isn't working because they're, you know, they, they, they want that FOMO, that fear of missing out, you know, and generating that interest. And so, yeah, doing that reflection is really critical. Well, we've, so we've talked a little bit on, on the investment side, as you think about kind of on the sales side, then with, you know, clients and customers, what, what are some of the negotiation things that you find that, that are, that are helpful there? Oh man, <laughs> so many, so many things. So I think the, you know, and so I'm the the business co-founder, so the the CEO on paper. So my my main job is really sales. You know, finding new customers, and then my technical co-founder, his job is building the product, improving the product. And so I'm basically constantly doing sales. You know, multiple calls a day. Then obviously recruiting is really just another form of negotiation and sales. But when it comes to actually, you know, acquiring new customers, one of the things that we tried to do is. At first, we were doing a lot of negotiation, you know, really trying to, you know, each deal was a little bit different and, you know, having, you know, different pricing, different billing, you know, whether the billing was annual or monthly, whether there is what the added processing fee was. So we make money both on a subscription and on payment processing. So, you know, you have multiple different different factors, but kind of over time, what we did, the, the downside of negotiating every deal is, you know, our average sale price is one to 2000 to $3,000 typically or per location. And then for hospitality groups, you know, we can have deals north of $10,000, $20,000. But for these, you know, so 10, if it's 10 to 20K, it makes sense to like negotiate and you have that time. But for a one to $2,000 a year thing, like at scale, it's just not efficient. And we'd have to either increase our price or, you know, not, not have, you know, just have one option on the website that may not be a good option for our customers. And so what we did was we kind of took those learnings from the negotiations and then built packages and plans around them. So now we have three different plans and then two different billing options. So about six different, you know, options total. And people can just come to our website, click a button, sign up, and we don't have to do, you know, very much talking with them at all. But that was the result of doing a lot of talking and realizing, hey, like, 
you know, some, some people really value flexibility and cash flow. So they just want month to month billing. Other people really value stability and they want a trusted partner and they want a contract and they want to, you know, it's SLA service level agreement and really understanding, you know, that, Hey, we're perfect venue is we're they're entrusting us with millions of dollars each year to manage their private events businesses. And if we don't do well there, we're going to directly hurt their bottom line. We're not just some like backend software that, you know, they may, you know, kind of get along with, but not, you know, not, not critical. I and mean, we're very, very important and typically managing 30 to 40% of their revenue stream. So it's a pretty big responsibility. So, you know, some people view it like that. Other people want the flexibility. And then on the processing rates, some people are very, you know, they want to have low subscription, but then they're willing to pay higher per transaction and really building those plans in. So I would say that was one big learning. And I could maybe talk about some of the active listening skills too, if you'd like. Uh, yeah, well, I, I do want to get to that. So I, I like what you've done, right, in terms of making some intentional decisions around how you approach options. Um, we'll often talk about the different ways to approach, right? And there's the engaging, negotiating, involving them, the brainstorming. And we recognize that takes time. And it sounds like, you know, over time, as you get a better understanding of their interests, yeah, you can you can do a little bit more kind of a menu choice and say, exactly. hey, you know, we've, we've created a menu that really appeals to a number of folks. And when the scale is of, of a large enough size, and maybe there's some nuanced differences, there's some things we can do there. So I think that's great. I do want to ask you about kind of the FBI training. So you were the one of the two first students we sent down to and participate in the FBI negotiation training. When we were when you were, when you were at West Point, and you got to then hang out for another couple of weeks after after that, and actually kind of do some on the job training with the hostage negotiators and that great team, I I am curious, yeah, where where those sort of active listening skills, some of that stuff shows up today in your work. Yeah, absolutely. So with sales, I would say it's very, very common. And especially with like our, our main competitor is they're, they're a good fit for really large places. But when especially they try and go after like independent restaurants and hospitality groups, it's really not a good fit. And so often a lot of our customers, they're, they're in an emotional state about how bad our main competitor is to the extent that they don't want to switch to us because they're like, hey, we just switched to this thing and it's been so bad. And like, you know, we're so, so upset, but it's like, we don't want to go through like another painful process. And so being able to just be like, you know, very like label those emotions, like, yeah, that, that sounds stressful. That sounds frustrating. I would be, you know, I would feel frustrated, um, in the, those situations. And if, you know, I'm talking about how maybe I've had a bad onboarding experience before with other software and how that's, you know, negatively hurt our business and then communicating how, a, that's important to us and we, we recognize that and then B, what we've done about it and providing legitimacy. So like we survey our customers. So we say, you know, I think the number is around 80%, but about 80% of customers that switch to us say the migration went better than expected. And so, you know, having that data to, to back that up. But yeah, so a lot of times people will be, you know, in that those emotional states, a lot of times too, when they're, I really like to summarize and paraphrase. So that was another one of the active listening skills. So, you know, they'll be talking to us about, how their their business and their problems and you know all these different issues and i just see sales as like problem solving so i had first part of the call try to understand the problem second part of the call you know providing uh the solution and and sometimes we aren't the right solution and we're happy to recommend alternatives as well but you know really understanding their problems and then summarizing those problems so they know that hey i understand what they're they're saying and making sure that we have that that clear communication which is i think one of those 
active listening skills as well. And there's, I think, definitely a misconception, especially folks like coming from the military, where maybe your only interaction with the salesperson is when you're buying a car, and it's usually a pretty terrible experience. But especially as you, you know, get into more like B2B sales and enterprise sales, to me, the best salespeople are not pushy at all. They're really just problem solvers, where they're trying to understand that problem, provide the solution, and they're honest if they're not the best solution. And that builds a lot of trust, because who knows, like, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, three months down the line or, you know, a year down the road, they'll add another location and that other location is a good fit for us or they'll recommend one of their friends. So, you know, having having that good reputation in the industry um, goes a long way and is very not the standard in our industry. You know, it's a lot of kind of fly-by-night sales guys that are trying to just, you know, hit their quotas. But I think when you really understand your your customer's interests and, you know, present, you know, uh, yourself as an option and but also be realistic about the alternatives and sometimes recommending those alternatives if you're not a good fit really goes along way to building trust yeah so much so much good stuff in there right the building of trust the actual um you know taking the time to show that you've understood which you know builds that and builds that reputation even the humility of saying we may not be the right choice for you and there's some other things to consider yeah no absolutely absolutely and i think too another Another thing I just thought of too, I think is the, um, you know, there's sometimes a tendency to just think that people want the lowest price or, or whatever, but often, you know, I think communicating, you know, how, how it's the importance of like having that back and forth and like, Hey, we, you know, we're, if we're, if you try and negotiate so low with us that we can't uh, improve the product, you know, it's going to negatively impact you or, or if we're trying to win a deal that isn't a good fit for our product, it's going to pull engineering resources you know, in a direction that we don't want to go and it's going to increase our costs. And I think a lot of it just comes down to, you know, thinking a little bit more broadly about just trying to win that individual deal and what those implications could be. And even when we were raising money too, you know, if we had investors that wanted to like really push on the valuation, it's like, hey, you can keep pushing down on the valuation, but then we're going to, you're going to dilute the founding team really quickly and it's going to disincentivize us, you know, for future rounds. Other investors aren't going to want to invest. So often it's in the, other parties' best interest as well, I think, to you know have that fair deal and that fair price for that long-term success. Yeah, I think that's, that's such a great point. It's something that we've talked a little bit about think with an eye towards what this looks like, implementation, that more broader perspective. Exactly. Yeah, that commitment. Well, listen, if, if I'd like, I think probably the last question I just throw out on the table to you, Luke, is, and we so greatly appreciate your time today, is what's what's your biggest piece of advice from a negotiation perspective, perhaps, or just in general, if you want to go there too, for a listener who's kind of on the same path as you are with their own idea or concept for a, a business or, or maybe even kind of starting some of the initial steps, what would you give to them as kind of a word of encouragement? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you are, you know, thinking about starting a business, you know, I think now is the, the best point in human history to start a business. You know, I think just even looking back, you know, over the last like we were talking about this uh, with my CTO yesterday, if we were to start a perfect venue 20 years ago, it would have required hundreds of thousands of dollars just to simply get a website up. And now you can build a website, you know, for, for literally for free, you know, for maybe 10 bucks a month and, and so many other tools and resources are out there. And so the, the cost of starting a business has gone down truly exponentially, even in the last 20 years. And so I think it's, you know, it's really an exciting time to be a part of building the future and building, you know, whenever, you know, we look at our, our phone and all the different apps on there, like those are built by people just like us that were equally clueless when they started, but they just kept, you know, they had that vision and they just kept, you know, going forward and listening to customers and solving problems. So I think that's, you know, I'd, I'd say definitely, definitely do it if you're thinking about it. And then, you know, in terms of just the basics, I think a lot of it is, you know, really understanding your customers. And it sounds so obvious, but it's so easy to be so married to our ideas. And like when I originally had that 
Airbnb for private event spaces idea, but realized like the real problem is actually with the venues. And it wasn't something I knew anything about, but I just started sitting at restaurants with the event sales managers and learning and watching and just slowly over time started to build, you know, pattern match and see similar workflows that we were able to build software around. And I think if we really listen to customers and really focus on building and shipping things quickly, that will help. And when it comes to negotiation, you know, really, I feel like the most common thing we keep coming back to is just understanding their interests, you know, understanding why people want what they want and really taking the time to peel that onion back. And often what they say they want is not necessarily exactly what's you know, going on there. And I think the, you know, negotiations information that you guys have provided and the instruction I got at West Point. I mean, for me, it's really hard to imagine being here today without the negotiation class and, you know, everything that you taught me along the way, Aram. I mean, I'd, you know, closing three quarters of a million dollars in investment when you're <laughs> coming right out of the army, uh, it definitely would not have been possible had it, you know, I've been really learned to go through all those deliberate processes and, and think about things in a, a purposeful way. And it really, you know, it really sets you apart, especially as an entrepreneur when there's, you know, a lot of other entrepreneurs that investors can invest in. And also when you're doing sales, a lot of other, you know, products that, that companies can use and you got to understand their interest and, demonstrate how you meet their interests better than anyone else out on the market. Luke, yeah, thanks, thanks for saying that. For listeners who want to get acquainted with Perfect Venue and reach out to you, where, where, where can we send them? Yeah, you can definitely um, go to our website, perfectvenue.com, or if you want to reach out to me directly, my email is luke at perfectvenue.com. Well, Luke, thanks. That, that, Nolan, I'm going to pass it back over to you. I can't imagine a, a, a kind of a better first guest to have on our program. No, I think, I think Luke's definitely set the bar high. So greatly appreciate your time, Luke. I mean, I really do think that what you're doing over there, Perfect Venue, is pretty awesome to watch, especially from the outside. So good luck to you on your future endeavors. I think that you already left the advice for the key takeaways and the action items that we would give for anyone that's following in similar footsteps. So awesome. For the Negotiate X Nation, if you have any guests that you would like us to have on the Negotiate X podcast, and reach out to us at team at negotiatex.com. And we will attempt to track them down and convince them like Luke to, to join our podcast. So yeah, with that being said, thanks, Luke. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. And we'll see you over in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.